Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We we love you. We just give you praise for everything you do for us, you give to us in grace. We just pray this morning that we might be challenged by the passage in James, that we might come to appreciate every situation that happens in our lives, and certainly they happen for a reason. So we thank you this morning for your word, and for your love, and for your grace. And of course, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all on the cross for our sake. In Jesus' name we pray this morning, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Great. Good. Well, we'll see after the passage this morning. <laughs> but uh, as it was mentioned, uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and we have, what, the Colts and uh, the Bears playing. And unfortunately, my Dallas Cowboys didn't make it. Their hopes and dreams were dashed when Tony Romo was set to hold the football for the winning field goal. And a surprise happened. He jumbled the ball, picked it up, ran for the end zone, and I'm sure as he was running toward the end zone, because there was no one in front of him, he saw salvation. (laughs) But unfortunately, someone from behind tackled him. So that was pretty sad. But, you know, surprises do happen in life. Uh, I'll never forget uh, one time when Michelle surprised me by pinstriping my pickup truck many years ago. See, that's the way to a man's heart in Texas. See, you, if you pinstripe his pickup truck, he'll be, he'll, he'll be a happy camper. But, you know, uh, Arch, Arch got a surprise a few months ago when he was crossing a street in Dallas, Texas. Now, unlike my surprise, which was a good surprise, his surprise was not so good because he was in a world of hurt after that. You see, crossing a street in Texas is not like crossing a street in California. You know, when a pedestrian steps out into the intersection, everybody just hauls to a screeching stop. But in Texas, you got to watch out. You know, the, we have a lot of drivers have, a, have crosshairs for their hood ornament, you know, and, and they seem to aim for pedestrians. You know, the road is their domain. So you have to be careful. You know, some of the serious drivers have human uh, silhouettes stamped on the side of the car to, you know, to signify how many pedestrians they hit. But, you know, life, life had, has a lot of things that happen to us. How many of you have seen this bumper sticker here? Stuff happens. Now, I cleaned it up a little bit because uh, you all know what it really says. But I cleaned it up a little bit for the Sunday morning crowd. But, you know, stuff does happen. And it happens all the time. Or how about this, uh, this bumper sticker for the really paranoid? <clears throat> As it comes up here. Why does stuff only happen to me? Well, that, that individual, individual really has issues, but we won't talk about that this morning. But, you know, it's true. Stuff really does happen in life. And it happened to all of us. If you're a member of the human race, 
stuff did, is, and will happen in your life. And they will continue to happen. And, it, and it's irrespective of your, of your status in life. If you're rich, or poor, male, or female, believer, or unbeliever, things will happen in your life. And there's no escaping it. See, good things happen in the form of prosperity, and bad things happen in the form of adversity. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 10.13? No test or trial has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Common to man. Or how about 1 Peter 4.12? What does Peter say? Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So what is Paul and Peter trying to tell us here? Believe the bumper sticker. Stuff happens. Stuff will happen. But let me clear something up here as we get into this passage that James talks about trials and tribulations in our lives and how to handle it. I want to make this point clear, and that is that it's not the nature of the trial that determines our godly character. It's rather how we respond or react to those trials. Now, that's quite significant and very important. See, there's no value in getting into this battle of, you know, my trial is greater than your trial. You know, well, I broke a leg the other day, and that really tested me. Well, oh yeah, well, I broke two legs. How do you like that? Well, okay, I broke two legs and an arm. You know, you can go just go on and on. Just try and outdo each other on your trials. But it's not the nature of the trial. It's how we respond or react to those trials. So I've titled this message this morning, Thanks, Lord, I Needed That. Because by the end of this session, you should appreciate what that really means. And it is my sincere prayer this morning that you do. I know that there are many in this congregation who are in the midst of trials right now, and some very serious. But my prayer this morning is that you be encouraged by the passage that we're about to study. So, James, the brother of our Lord, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has some wonderful perspective on how and why we are to respond to our trials. So turn with me to the epistle of James, chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. It's right after Hebrews. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, now this is a passage that many of us have read or even memorized. Count it all joy. But I hope that you will take away some salient points that you may not have considered as you, you studied this passage this, this morning. But let's go ahead and begin in verse 1. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in this verse because we have a lot of ground to cover. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, James is the author of this epistle. James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also who ultimately became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he is writing to a Jewish-believing audience signified by the 12 tribes. And these believers that he is writing to have suffered tremendous persecution because of their new faith in Messiah. They have decided to believe that Jesus is, in fact, their Messiah. And so, therefore, because of their faith, they have suffered tremendous persecution. They were forced to leave their homes and their homelands And as the verse says, scattered abroad, they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So they lost their jobs, their family, their friends and property. And it's all due to the dispersion that they were forced into. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 after the stoning of Stephen. But see, these believers were no stranger the trials and tribulations in their lives. You know, stuff was happening all around them and even in their new assembly. And James is addressing this issue on how to respond to all the trials and tribulations that they were undergoing. Now, specifically, the trials that these believers were facing were the trial of persecution. And they were persecuted because of their new faith Many bad things were happening to them, and they were experiencing social, economic, and even physical type of suffering. And these are far and above the type of trials and tribulations you and I may face today. In fact, I'm sure that they would wish they had our troubles. But they had a lot of our troubles, and then some because of their persecution. But see, because in this country, we don't suffer the type of persecution that our early church brethren did. We have a free country, still freedom to worship our God, and certainly a freedom that we should not take for granted. But by principle, though, we can glean much from James' exhortation to these new Jewish believers. Because not only is the Bible timeless, but it can also be timely 
And this passage is certainly timely for us because we experience trials and tribulations every day of our lives, it seems like. There's no escaping it. And remember what I said earlier, it's not the nature of the trial that determines your godly character, but rather how we react or respond to them. So this is what James begins to talk about beginning in verse 2, so let's look at it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, before you think that James has gone over the deep end here, you know, and he's trying to say we should be happy because of our suffering and trials. Well, James isn't talking about that. We'll see that in a minute. The verb count, count it all joy here, signifies the command of Scripture and means to think, to consider or regard, to make a decision after weighing the facts or circumstances. It involves the intellect. In other words, after you've recovered from the initial shock of your trial or tribulation or circumstance in life, you should stop and consider and evaluate what God can do for you in the midst of that trial. Count, consider, evaluate. In other words, don't just have a knee-jerk reaction to your trial and you start, and of course a natural reaction is to start praying, Lord, please get me out of this mess. You know, how many times have uh, <clears throat> you prayed that prayer? Because trials and tribulations are not pleasant. We would rather not have them. Now, if you like trials and tribulations, then, uh, well, that's another story. But you might have some men in some white suits come and visit someday. But don't have that knee-jerk reaction. Because... We can effectively serve our Lord in the midst of the trial. And that's really the way to do it. Because we are called upon to serve our Lord in the midst of our trial. And the important thing is that it's not the solution of the problem that's important, but the strength that we can gain through finding the solution. And the only place that we can find real solution is where? In the Lord. In His Word. So, if someone witnessed you in your past and says, you know, once you believe in Jesus and you become a new Christian, your troubles are all over. You know, have you heard that? Well, I don't believe it. That guy ought to be a recruiter for the military. Because they lie to you all the time. So, you know, life is full of trials, tribulations, sufferings, and problems. But what does James say here? Deal with it. Because, you know what? They're not going away. Instead, consider them all joy when they happen, when all the things happen in your life. Now, all joy here signifies the quality of joy. All right? It's, the, it's actually in the emphatic position in the Greek text, and it means supreme joy, or full joy, total joy, sheer joy. In other words, it's the kind of joy that comes from having an eternity perspective. It's the kind of joy that comes from knowing God works all things together for good. 
It's the joy that comes from having the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and guards your heart and mind. And it doesn't mean only joy. Now, let's get this straight. It doesn't mean only joy exclusive of of all other mental attitudes and emotions. Joy isn't the only thing you should experience when faced with trials and tribulations. That's obvious. You know, Arch didn't uh, praise the Lord and start singing, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart when he was hit by that lady in in the intersection. You know, he was in a world of hurt and agony and pain as he was laying there in the mud and the blood and the glass. I was going to say beer as the song goes. But if you are in the middle of a trial, you will experience a myriad of bona fide emotions like sadness, pain, anger, surprise, confusion, denial, disappointment, remorse, shame, regret, you know, I'm sure Arch had regrets that he didn't tuck and roll as he was, you know, hit by the car. But, Or even happiness. That's right, happiness. See, because the text doesn't talk about what kind of trial you might encounter. There's good trials and there are bad trials. You see, you might in, receive an inheritance from, say, a rich uncle. Let's say a million bucks. Now, that's a good thing. And that should make you happy. But the fact that you're happy doesn't deny the fact that even that's a trial. In fact, I've I've heard it said that prosperity is harder than the trial of adversity. Victor Hugo said it once, adversity makes men and prosperity makes monsters. You know, have you noticed that you know Hollywood uh, zeroes in on this? Usually, the villain is always what rich. Any of you guys watch soaps, or any of you ladies watch soaps? He's usually the bad guy in soaps, the rich guy, because he's got all the resources that he needs to, you know, make life really bad for the good people. You see, being rich, being wealthy, having lots of money carries with it a tremendous amount of responsibility. So if you fall in that category, welcome to your trial. So far we have considered pure joy, and then the verse says, when you fall into various trials. And it is when. It's not if. It's inevitable. It will happen, James says. When you fall into various trials. Now here the verb fall indicates the kind of stuff that happens beyond your control. It means to fall in with, encounter, or literally fall into the hands of. Now persecution fell upon the first century believers because of their faith. They had no control over it. And we sometimes have no control of what, you know, what happens to us. It just happens, but it happens for a reason. And we'll see in a minute what that reason is. But when these kind of trials befall us, 
What is the natural inc- inclination when, you know, when we have a mishap? The natural inclination is to blame someone. I knew a lady who was backing out in her driveway at a supermarket, and as she backed out, she hit a pole behind her. And she whipped around and says, who the heck hit me? You know, the natural inclination was to blame someone. She thought someone hit her. And in fact, she backed into a pole. But, you know, it, it seems like God gets blamed for a lot of things. You know, have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer as you were hammering a nail? You know, and then the Lord's name happens to come up, usually. It's, I, I don't know, it's, why is it that the Lord's name always comes up when we hurt ourselves? You know, why can't we just hit our thumb with a nail and say, George Washington? You know, I don't know. A lot of people just use the Lord's name. We just naturally blame God because, you know what? God is in charge. We've been taught that. The supreme God of the universe that allows things to happen. And as a good God-fearing uh, member of the human race, when you hit your nail while hammering, well, you're going to bring up the Lord's name. But the natural indication is to blame God. And this is exactly what James is exhorting us not to do. Look at verse 19 real quick. James says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, this is actually the thematic statement of the whole epistle. James is laying out what he's going to talk about in the rest of the epistle. And I would encourage you to read it when you get home later on. It's a very short epistle. It'll probably take you about 20, 25 minutes to read or so. But you'll see that James lays out the theme of this verse throughout the rest of the epistle. But his message is loud and clear. Be quick to hear what God has to say in his word and in the wisdom he freely gives to you. Be slow to speak the things that you might regret, like blaming God for your troubles. And be slow to wrath. You see, anger towards God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is not the prescribed manner of dealing with your trials and tribulations. I wouldn't recommend it. And this is also an imperative. It's a command, just like uh, verse 2 is. Count it all joy. And commands in Scripture are important because they tell us not only what to do, because they're the right things to do, but because they're good for us to do. Commands are a source of tremendous blessing, or they can be. But here's another thing about commands in Scripture. You may not have considered this. If we disobey them, it is considered sin. With knowledge comes accountability. What does James say in chapter 4, verse 17? Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, To him, it is sin. Well, the point is, don't get into this 
blaming God for your troubles. Do instead what is right, what is commanded of you. Because if you don't, it is considered sin. So, we have, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, various trials indicates just that. Trials of all sorts. Good trials, bad trials, testing trials, discipline trials, self-induced trials, no-fault trials. It pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? But here's the point. It doesn't matter what kind of trial you're in. They all require the same type of response. And I would emphasize response and not reaction. We should consider all of them joy. Which brings up another point. If you see someone in the midst of a trial, someone who is suffering, someone who has had a bad thing happen in their lives, don't assume that they're undergoing some sort of discipline. Because you don't have all the facts. Only that individual and the Lord has the facts. So what we should do is respond with compassion and love and care for that individual. Because I guarantee it, the shoe is going to be on the, foot, on the other foot one day. And as you're in your own furnace, you're going to wish that someone would show a little compassion for you. So don't assume. So point one, trials are inevitable. Point number two, they happen for a reason. So look at verse three now. James continues. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, the testing of your faith here refers to the refining of your faith or the proving of your faith. The continued process of purifying your faith under fire. Sanders talks about when the late King George was visiting a pottery plant some years ago, two special vases were shown to him. Both were made of the same material and both had been painted in the same style and manner. But one was a beautiful ornament and the other blurred and unsightly. And the reason? One had taken the fire and the other had not. When our faith passes through the fire of test by the Lord, it becomes a thing of beauty to the Lord. And it is that refined, proven faith that will qualify us, hopefully, at the Bema seat. And hopefully we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants from our Lord. Incidentally, how we respond or react to our testing trial not only constitutes a witness before our Lord, but it also creates an opportunity to be a witness for our Lord to the unbelievers and certainly to other believers. In other words, people are watching. No man is an island. The way you live your life, the way you respond to these trials, people are noticing. And you could be the difference between being a good testimony, a good witness for the Lord, 
or a bad one. Well, if that's the way Christians respond or react to these trials, I don't want any part of it. Well, hopefully that's not what they would say. But it is the testing, in other words, that Peter refers to in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, in which he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness, or testing, is the same word, of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of faith that hopefully will be produced by your testing trial. And it is the kind of faith that produces patience. As James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Or the word could be translated endurance. I would even uh, add the word perspective. And why do you suppose we need patience, endurance, full of perspective? Because your trial is going to be around for a while. Chances are when the Lord allows something to happen in your life, be patient because you know what? It's not going away in a real hurry. Certainly not as quick as you would like it to go away. Because it's the time spent in the trial that is worth the trial. Anything that is worth having in life is not easy. And certainly having proven faith is not easy. So be patient. You're going to be there a while. In fact, verse 4 continues, Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let patience have its perfect work. In other words, let it have its complete work. What does this mean? Let the test play out. Don't get impatient. Let it run its course. Don't cut it short. You know, because your trial is going to run its course whether you like it or not. So you might as well take advantage of it. You might as well learn from it. You might as well grow from it. Let it have its complete work in you. So that you can be perfect, that is, mature, complete, lacking nothing. You know, have, have you ever wondered at all? Well, I'm telling you, right here, you can have the spiritual cake and eat it too. You suffer your trial, let it run its course, and you will gain tremendously from it. Patient, endurance, full of perspective, spiritual maturity, totally complete, lacking nothing. Everything you need to endure that trial, you will have, assuming you respond correctly. So if any of you, James continues in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
So if you do lack some wisdom on how to handle that trial, there's even provision for that. Now, this is a specific kind of wisdom that James is talking about here. It's the wisdom that you need to weather the storm. It's the perspective that you need to know that God is allowing this in your life for a reason. And what does he say? We simply ask for it. And it will be given to you. From the God who gives all liberally. You know, that's a simple phrase, but boy, it sure does carry a lot of meaning. This is a gracious, loving Father who wants you to have it all. In fact, He gives it without reproach. He doesn't play this game of, oh, it's you again. You know, didn't I just see you the other day or hear from me the other day from the last trial? And you're back and you still haven't learned yet? Back for some more wisdom, huh? You know, he doesn't play that game. God loves to see you come back. Because he wants you to be dependent upon him. Rather than being dependent upon the energy of the flesh. Because certainly that will get you nowhere. Depend on God. Depend on God the Holy Spirit. God the Father who gives all liberally. And he will give it to you without reproach, without playing these little mind games with you. And it will be given to him. That's an absolute statement. Ask for it, it'll be given. No strings attached, in other words. Well, there is one little condition. What does James say in verse 6? But let him ask in faith with no doubting. God wants you to believe that he will, in fact, give you what you need. Because he told you. Don't doubt him. Believe it. Just as we simply believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for salvation. If you believe with doubting, then chances are... It's not going to happen. Simply believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will save you. Believe that God the Father will give you trial wisdom. And it will be given to you. Don't doubt it. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now this is very picturesque language. It's beautiful the way James put this. See, if you observe the oceans and the seas, the tides have a purpose and a reason for existing. Tides do a lot of things for us. Waves, on the other hand, are different. They're caused by the wind. It's like the ocean has lost control. They're tossed and thrown to and fro. The wind just has its way with the ocean. And waves just become aimless, without purpose, And in fact, most waves cause what? Destruction. And like a wave that comes crashing on the shore, it just gets totally obliterated. That's the picture of the believer who doubts. Without control, without purpose, 
and ultimately his life crashes on a shore totally obliterated. Very picturesque language here. So don't be like that doubtful believer. It's a dead end. When you pray, and certainly this applies to any prayer, you pray with faith, believing that the Lord will in fact grant your request, assuming it's the right things you're praying for. You know, I heard the prayer this morning that the Colts would win. Well, we'll see. (laughs) But let that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. Let that man, or let not that man suppose. If you don't have faith, you do have doubt, then forget it, you're not going to get it. That's what he is simply saying here. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his way. This idea of being double-minded, well, it's actually the idea that it's my will against God's will. Sometimes we will to do what we want to do, and it's contrary to God's will. Well, who do you think is going to win that battle? He wins all the time. So don't be a double-minded believer full of doubt. Instead, pray in faith. Remember my, my prayer request this morning? I pray that by the end of this session, we might all come to appreciate and thank God for our afflictions. And in fact, to consider them pure joy. As Paul stated in his letter to the Colossians, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. See, Paul understood what it meant to count it all joy. Trials and afflictions are inevitable in life, but consider them joy because they happen for a reason. They are designed to bless you in time through spiritual maturity and endurance and perspective. And they are designed to bless you in eternity as well. As James says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, or test, actually the word is test, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So it is not only blessing in time, but blessing in eternity as well. Pray for wisdom to handle the trial. God will honor your prayer of faith and it will be given to you. Help others who are suffering. If you can help them, do so. Because if you don't, that's considered sin. Comfort them when they're in pain. Provide for them when they're in need. If you're able to. Tozer once wrote, the last slide here, to believe actively that our Heavenly Father constantly spreads around us providential circumstances that work for our present good and our everlasting well-being brings to the soul a veritable benediction. That is an absolute, genuine blessing. 
My hope is that you can, in the light of what you've heard this morning, say with a pure heart, thanks, Lord, I needed that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your love, for your provision, for everything that happens in our lives, for realizing that you allow them to happen for our good, for our maturity, our perspective, and our blessing. We thank you for James and for his passage that brings this to light so that we can fully appreciate everything you do for us in the good times as well as the bad.